to Where You Lead, a podcast where we, a real-life mother and daughter duo, rewatch Gilmore Girls and discuss the misadventures of fictional mother and daughter duo Lorelai and Rory Gilmore. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series The Caranzan Chronicles and Beth's Daughter. And I'm Beth, Tessa's mom. I am also a writer. And here's a little background on how this podcast came about. When Tess was Rory's age, we used to watch the Gilmore Girls every week. I was older than Lorelai, but in a similar position, single working mom with a kid in private school that we could not afford. Tess's friends used to call us the Gilmores, even though Tess has a brother, which Rory did not. Um, We have a long history of discussing movies and television, plus music and politics and culture, pretty much anything that relates. And sometimes these conversations have taken on a kind of marathon quality. So when Tess moved to Seattle and we continued these talks over the phone, it occurred to us that we should move these discussions over to the digital world, maybe even into a podcast. The Gilmore Girls felt like a good place to start. So here we are. Every week, we will start off with a synopsis of the episode, along with the date it aired before heading into our discussion. Today, we are discussing Season 1, Episode 8. It is titled Love and War and Snow, which reminds me of how I tend to title my Saturday Morning Musings Facebook posts with, you know, several different things that don't relate. It originally aired on December 14th. 2000 and a word about coffee consumption today i just want to point out that we we often discuss you know how how much coffee we've had and when we've had it i watched this episode today for the first time during the day rather than late at night as i usually do so i watched it while drinking coffee (laughs) which is a great idea Yes, it is. This was a particularly coffee-heavy episode as well. It was. Yeah, so I am, I guess, I would say I'm at coffee 1.5, because do you ever do that thing where you drink like half of your coffee and then you fill it up again because you're about to record a podcast? (laughs) So, yeah, and it's not—it's kind of cooled off. Although you like your coffee, yeah. Too. Although, but, so um, it, I mean, yeah. like my 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 coffee consumption is a little feral. I was drinking the rest of yesterday's French press, and then I oh. made a new French press and okay. pumped it up. <laughs> You can't let it go to waste. You can't let it go to waste. And I actually have a new thermos now that's not new thermos. It was actually my mother's thermos that my brother gave me recently. And I started using it because I thought, oh, it reminds me of my mother. It's actually a really good thermos. It keeps the coffee not just warm overnight, but not stale. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. You will inherit it someday. <laughs> and it uh, trust me, you'll love it. But anyway. I, um... I actually also, I, I have the fanciest French press that I've ever had in my life right now. Oh, yes. Because you do. during my adulthood, I've gone through at least three French presses, maybe four. Before I lived with my partner, I lived with a roommate who was also a coffee addict, and he and I both came into our roommate situations with our own French presses, and he broke both of them <laughs> during that period. They were made of glass, and then my partner bought me this. Said, my partner does not drink coffee. He bought this little French press with a, like, Celtic knot on it because he knows that I kind of like witchy stuff and so he bought it just so that Mm -hmm. I could drink coffee over at his place it was so cute but so poorly made it broke within a year oh no Um, and so when he and I uh, decided to replace it, it it actually broke right around when we were moving into our current house 
So when we decided to replace it, basically he felt like he had kind of messed up by getting one that was that cheap. And so he said, I should go and look for one. (laughs) And I was like, honestly, they're all that cheap. But then I found, I did not know that La Crusette was like a thing at the time, but I later on discovered that it was because I stumbled upon this $100 ceramic French press and I showed it to him as kind of a joke and I was like, this one's beautiful because it's teal and I love teal, but I think that's way too much money to spend for a French press. And he looked at it and he was like, yeah, but it seems like it would be way harder to break that one. (laughs) (laughs) so we went ahead and got it it still feels like a huge splurge to me but that's the story of how my french press came to be it hasn't broken yet so we'll see well and you know i think that's unusual most french presses are glass Mm -hmm. you hardly ever see a a ceramic one and it is beautiful and it makes a really good french press but the story about your first french press is my story years ago i worked for the city of ferguson the infamous city of ferguson where i now live and i became friends with the mayor really good guy. He has since passed away and great memory of him. He had a yard sale and I went to his yard sale and I bought some furniture from him, some of which I, well, both pieces of which I still have. And I bought a French press. It was $2. $2. It had never been used. And it sat in my house for a couple of years. And then when you moved to Seattle, you said, I'll take this mm-hmm. with me. Yeah. I, <laughs> and you I did. learned how to make French press coffee in college from a different roommate. And that is pretty much how I have drunk my coffee since. It's so simple. And French presses, unless you buy a fancy ceramic one, are pretty cheap. Yes, they are. <laughs> and pretty easy to use. Uh, they make really strong coffee. Mm-hmm which is something that the Lorelei's <laughs> would never be able to handle. They have to have their coffee pretty cheap, which also reminds me of my mother because she, not cheap, but not very strong, kind of weak. And my mother used to drink it around the clock. And if she, if she had made it as strong as I make mine, it would have killed her. Well, so, you know, Lo- Lorelai's claim is that she drinks it strong, but I think you're right. There's no way they're drinking strong coffee no 24-7. I think she drinks a lot of it, so yeah. that's why. In fact, it comes up in this episode, her high tolerance, but I think it's more about how much, mm-hmm. not the, the strength of it. But one last one last thing about the coffee is that today's coffee, I watched the Gilmore Girls today, which I, I usually watch it the night before, but it's been a busy day. I went to the gym. I had a really long, strong, vigorous workout, came home, realized. I was running short on time, so I had to have my coffee while I was watching the Gilmore Girls, along with some chocolate, which was wonderful. <laughs> and it was just, I think, the, the exercise high, the coffee, the whole thing. I loved this episode. I'm just going to say this up front, and we have just chatted very briefly. Mm-hmm. We don't usually chat about the, the episode before we talk about it. But just a very brief uh, Marco Polo exchange where you said you did not like it. I did it. not enjoy this so episode that, that much. That, yeah. that much, yes. And I loved it. So this should be a great episode for yeah, us. Yeah, we, we can definitely... <laughs> So yeah, let's go ahead and get into the episode and we can talk about our different opinions. Okay. I mean, we definitely watched this episode in completely different situations because I watched it at the end of my work day yesterday. It was very late. Um, at midnight. Yeah. You watched it at midnight I literally watched night. it at midnight. <laughs> I am pretty regularly working at midnight. So yeah, I, I literally watched this episode as like the last thing I did before I went to bed. So I will admit that I was kind of tired. I did a lot of work yesterday and I was a little tired. <laughs> but I don't think that's the only reason that I didn't like it. I'm actually excited to hear why why you didn't like this because I, I enjoyed it so much. But go <laughs> And ahead. there were things that I enjoyed. Okay, I, I kind of skipped past the episode overview. The episode overview yeah. is basically just a snowstorm hits and everybody reacts to that. Different people get trapped in different places. And one of the consistent themes throughout the episode is that 
Lorelai is over the moon about the snow. And I think that is one of the first things that I don't like that. It's not even that I don't like it, but I... I lived in Connecticut for four years. How are you, my daughter? How are you, my daughter? I love snow. You have never lived in Connecticut. I completely get it. I would not have minded living in Connecticut. You can say that because you've never done it. (laughs) I think people are snow people or they're not snow people. And... You might have been a snow person if you had lived in Canada. Yeah, so I, really I, I disagree. Rough, I think it was rough weather. There. I have enjoyed. I I used to like snow when I lived in St. Louis, and I like snow again mm-hmm. now in Seattle. The thing about snow in Connecticut and global warming being what it is, it has been over ten years since I lived there, so it's possible that it isn't as bad now. But when I lived there, basically what would happen is it would snow in the middle of November. And it would not be gone until February. No. And it froze. And, and it was the, just, it it, yeah, it, it wasn't just the snow. Yeah. There would be, there would be at least a couple of horrible snowstorms where literally before they hit, everyone would have to go to the store and stock up on water, make sure you had batteries for your flashlight. Like full on weeks long power outages were always a danger, especially because I lived on a college campus where a lot of the buildings were older and did not have good insulation for power and piping and things like that so yeah. and interestingly that's where they live they live in exactly right they, they so live in connecticut it's kind of wild and, and that this is this is why i have an issue with how over the moon lorelei is about it because i'm just like the snow in connecticut is a danger <laughs> it is a danger and well, it is a terrible is. time to be there but the snow in this episode and the way she's treating it and talking about it is metaphorical so that's that's why it doesn't bother me but also i think one of the for me, one of the worst things, the absolute worst things about climate change is how little snow we get anymore. And then there'll be, you know, be some, we've, wait, we've gone two or three years without getting more than snowflakes. Yeah. And then we'll have massive storms one year. It's, you know, it's one way or the other. It's nothing in the middle where you just get a couple of inches and you can enjoy it, you know, and have some hot cocoa. It, it's not, it's not like that anymore. Yeah. That, but my childhood memories, as Lorelai's childhood memories, uh, involve two things playing in the snow, and having snow days mm-hmm. off school. So for me, it because it, back then, snow days, when it snowed, it was three, four, five inches. You didn't go to school. Yeah. So I have great memories of snow. I love snow. It's one of the reasons, literally, that I put up with the freaking hot summers <laughs> in St. Louis because I love snow so much. Well, so and I, I completely get this thing. I do think that maybe global warming has kind of permanently colored how I feel about snow as well, because my feelings about snow in St. Louis were that when I was much younger, we would get these beautiful snow days and, you know, several yeah. inches of snow. And I have not that long I ago have either. the memory of it disappearing. <laughs> like that colored my adolescence mm-hmm. was like it was, you know, this this is part of why when I like became an adult and realized that people some people denied climate change, I was just like, I saw it happen in St. Louis. We yes. we used to get before very hours. Yeah, we, we yep. used to get these like beautiful, you know, week long snows Lovely. that would yes. be, you know, six inches yeah. or something, like four to six inches and you could do snowmen and all of that and by the time I was like 12 13 it, it's like it didn't happen anymore or if it did it was like every three or, or it was four it years. was massively it was massively horrendous yeah. we'd get to you yeah. know a foot and a half and, and no one could leave would die. Yeah, exactly 
And nobody could leave the house. Yeah, so it was, it's, it's one or the other. It's the extreme thing about climate change. And let's just reiterate here that the title of this episode is Love and War and Snow, which is why we're talking about yes. snow people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, yeah, the whole, this whole episode is about snow and coffee. So maybe we're just not going to go too into the plot and just talk about snow and coffee. All right, let's go through it pretty quickly. Start with the first scene. Miss Patty arguing with Taylor. Yes, so we start with a, a, a town hall meeting. So this is also uh, where we're kind of getting into the like staples of the show now that the town hall meeting becomes a staple of the show and this is kind of the first one that we get i think this is also a little bit i'm not 100 percent sure but i think this is also a little bit of an inconsistency because the mayor is a character in this episode and i'm not totally sure that he continues to be a character going forward i'm pretty sure later on they don't have a mayor (laughs) okay so i note about the actor playing the mayor do you know anything about him no i don't so his name is David Huddleston. He was in The Big Lebowski. I'm not sure if oh. he played in The Big Lebowski, but that's one of his main... He, his he main, may have played The Big Lebowski. <laughs> he might have. But but his other two big movies are Mel Brooks movies, Blazing Saddles and The Producers. He has been a, kind of a well-loved character actor for years, often with a cigar in its mouth. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I saw that he was in The Dukes of Hazards, but he reminds me of one of the characters mm. in The Dukes of Hazards, so he might have been. I don't know. Probably not, though. But he's a very well-respected character actor. Been around a long time, so when I saw him in this, I thought, oh, wait a minute. I gotta stop this with this guy up. I know this guy. <laughs> and see, and he was in Blazing Saddles and the producer. Yeah. Mel Brooks. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we also, so he has, so, okay, just to, like, clarify what's going on, Miss Patty and Taylor do have a little bit of a back and forth. Taylor is doing the classic kind of conservative thing of complaining that no one is listening to him or that that no one is like letting him speak (laughs) when in fact he has been speaking for 20 solid minutes and they've all been forced to listen to him. Yes, he's dominated the conversation, that's for sure. And he accuses another townsman of selling quote-unquote drug paraphernalia because the man sold someone a lava lamp, uh, and Taylor claims there is no use for a lava lamp unless you're on drugs. But mostly, Taylor wants to have uh, no parking sign in front of his store removed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, He wants it removed because he wants to be able to park there all day. <laughs> he doesn't say that, though. He says it's because it's for his customers. Yes. But everybody knows it's that he wants to park it's for it. him. Um, but yeah, then we get to the mayor. The mayor and Luke have a bit of a back and forth. Well, they do in a second. I do want to say just before that, we do see Rory chewing food in this episode. Oh, yeah. I wanted to bring that up, too. Um, that's actually a really good point. They're at this community meeting, and Lorelai sees it as an opportunity to eat junk yes. food like you would at a movie. Yes. It's like she's watching a movie. Yes. She's watching this, this unfold in front of her. But interestingly, they are both actually eating yes. their food. Although it does look like Rory is eating an empty hot dog bun. <laughs> okay, that could be true. <laughs> and, and the other thing that happens here is when the mayor takes the podium before he starts talking about what you're going to explain in a second, he talks about leash laws. Yes. And, and there's this ongoing, while they're eating their hot, their imaginary hot dogs, mm-hmm. Lorelai and Rory are having this long little dialogue, you know, about everybody in the room, Luke and the mayor and everybody making comments. And when he says, he gets kind of, uh, the mayor gets a little excited about the leash log mm-hmm. and she says, ooh, daddy's getting angry. <laughs> there are just, this first scene has so many jokes in it that I was stopping it every couple seconds to laugh yeah. because it, it was just that funny. Very funny opening. I will say none of my complaints about this episode are about the first 
scene. The first scene is perfect. Yeah, it's great. I had to resist the urge to write down the dialogue of the entire scene. Oh yeah, yeah, every joke. <laughs> but I will, I will but, also you say, know. just as I feel like leash laws are regularly used as this kind of like punchline about someone who's too obsessed with minutia, and I just want to say, leash laws are important. I have a friend who has a traumatized dog, <laughs> and when she tries to walk that dog, every once in a while there will be someone whose dog is not on a leash, and the thing is, her dog cannot deal with other dogs, and these off leash dogs will run up to her dog and it traumatizes her and she's she is a strong dog she could hurt these dogs and she will because she's terrified of them leash your dogs yeah Yeah, and there's a whole group of people who feel like their dogs are well trained Mm -hmm. and they don't want to leash them and it's like no you need to leash the dog you have to follow the law just like everybody else does but also think the scene when we start getting into when they're talking about the historic reenactment thing that you're going to explain in a second luke interrupts the mayor and i thought this was a Every time this, this kind of thing happens, I'm going to point it out. Every time we get a clue about Luke. Yes. So there's another clue about Luke in this mm-hmm. scene. He says to the mayor, it's me, Harry, Luke. You've known me since I was five. Uh-huh. I guess the mayor says before that, who are you again? Yes. No, it's me, Luke. You've known, You've me, known since me since I was, I was five. five. Okay, that's a clue. Yeah. And then later on, we find out that his dad was a reenactor, and that's another clue. So gradually, we're getting to know Luke. Yes. Also, I, I kind of think, like, now that we know this for sure, and I believe this is, like, Luke canon going forward is that he has in fact lived in this town since he was a kid i'm thinking that the scenes where he's like claiming not to know what went on with lorelei and rory when they were younger it's i I think you can sort of accept it as like he and lorelei just like weren't in the same circles but i think in reality what was happening was the writers of the show wanted to be able to tell these stories and there's kind of no one in the town who wouldn't know these stories already so luke because he has the outsider feel is like the person who gets told these stories and i guess we're just sort of supposed to assume like i don't know he was hobbiting away in his house and not hanging out with anybody during that time or something well or i may have a couple theories it could be that it could be that he he left the town for 20 years and came back it's i don't know that we ever find out but he's definitely an outsider and it's kind of crazy and 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 the other thing that could have happened is that they started to to create, or they made the originally conceptualized Luke as an outsider character, but then realized that they needed needed him not to be an outsider so they could explain certain yeah. things. And so they kind of changed his story. It's either that or he went away for a while. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, we don't know. Yeah, either of those could be what's going on. Um, but yeah, so basically what happens is the mayor starts talking about the quote-unquote legendary battle of Stars Hollow, and to <laughs> Rory and Lorelai's delight, Luke immediately starts freaking out he starts rocking back and forth grabbing his hat they take bets on it they take bets on whether he's gonna (laughs) gonna burst out and then he finally jumps up and like yells at them that this tradition is stupid they shouldn't be doing it it's it's commemorating a battle that never happened he's right of course it's literally so apparently literally what happened is the soldiers of stars hollow went out to wait for the redcoats the british army to show up so that they could defend their land and the redcoats never showed 
No battle ever happened. They just stood outside in the cold all night. And every mm -hmm. year, the people of Stars Hollow reenact this quote-unquote battle by literally just... Because it was their part. Yeah, it's, it's their they, part. It's their, their part in the history. They're very proud. They're, they're proud of yes, it. They're very yeah. proud of their history. It's, it's and cute. And they're very patriotic. Yeah. It is cute. And the mayor actually accuses him at one point, you know, of not being patriotic and says, you should go stand in line for toilet paper in the USSR. <laughs> and my immediate thought was, and 20 years later, we were standing in line for toilet paper. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> so... Uh, but also, as Luke this points out, there is no USSR anymore. The mayor appears to be a man out of time. He does not know yes. who his own constituents yeah. are, and he does it's, not know what year it is. It's 2000. <laughs> the USSR has not existed for, for a while. You know, doesn't, except in a Beatles song. Yes. What's going on in this scene, though, what it, why it appeals to me so much is that, well, first of all, to back up, it, it's so funny the way they filmed the scene. Yeah. So when the mayor's talking about his patriotic stuff, they show, the, you know, the camera turns to the crowd in, in the in the town hall, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can see on their faces, they really agree with him. And then Luke speaks, and they do the same thing. Yeah. They agree <laughs> with him, too. So it's like, and they go back and forth, and the camera keeps showing us that the townspeople agree with both of them. So I, I, my, my feeling on this scene is the sense of community here is so great yeah. and when and actually one of them says i think it's uh rory says community is so great it made our country great mm, yeah uh you don't have the exact line but that's that's basically what she says because she, she and lorelei go back and forth with their and here's the thing that that's kind of a foreshadowing because later on she's uh lorelei is you know on a date in the movie theater mm -hmm. and they're talking but i i'm sitting here thinking Okay, so do you talk like, I'm literally thinking about, do you talk like this in movies? Do people hit you upside the head because you're talking in a movie? Yes, she And then does. later on, she's literally talking in the yeah. movie. So, um. so I did have one more note about the scene, which is, so Luke, Luke gets up to argue against the reenactment, and Taylor immediately comes to the reenactment's defense. He loves the tradition, and I think this is, you know, we, we, we talked about this a little bit last time. Taylor and Luke are each other's foils. I think at this point, it's... You you, you could see in a previous episode that they kind of tried to make Luke and Suki be each other's foils, have this, like, rivalry. And I think the thing is just that, like, it's kind of, uh, you kind of have to force it too hard to get Luke and Suki to be in the same scene. And I also honestly yeah. think that, like, personality-wise, it does not quite work to have Suki be the counterpart to Luke because she's just so sweet and effervescent that it would just make Luke seem mean, you know? like Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, I was thinking they have a lot in common because they're both cooks. They, they do, but they come out so differently but, that it, it's. Uh, I mean, and they're very proud. Yeah. They're both take a lot of pride in, in their work. True, um, and they are both very strong characters. But I just think if we mm -hmm. saw Luke being like mean and ornery to Suki over and over again, it would just kind of leave a sour taste in your mouth. Because like, what? Yeah. Why be mean to Suki? She's just like a ball of light. Taylor, on the other she hand, is. is an equally ornery old man who is curmudgeon. Yeah, he's a whiny curmudgeon just like Luke. It's much more fun to see two curmudgeons go at each other. Like, like I mentioned mm -hmm. briefly last time, they're both always kind of wrong. And that's part of yeah. what's fun to watch them is that they're both two jerks, but they've been pitted against each other instead of someone who doesn't deserve it, you know? And I think yeah. Suki and, is someone who doesn't deserve funny. it. And they're funny. Yeah, and they she are She doesn't funny. deserve it. And she's, yeah, so yeah, Taylor and, and Luke are great foils for each other. And that curmudgeonly contentiousness between them mm -hmm. is is just so much fun to watch. Yeah. And one, but, you know, Taylor is kind of excited and Luke is very dry. Yeah. The different 
they have different styles they do. Of, of communication. Also, I do think that like Taylor very much represents the traditional conservative mindset and like Luke, despite being very much like a like a patriarchal character type, his actual positions are the liberal side of things. Oh yeah. He's he's opposed to golf courses. That's gonna kill you. Uh he yeah, he literally yeah. says in this scene, like we were defending land that we stole, uh and he's right. Yep. And so yeah, like they're yeah, yeah, and both and when he says that Rory kinda looks at her mom and goes, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. Yeah. He's right. Um, but yeah, so Luke's actual points are usually kind of the uh, more progressive side of things. I mean, you know, Suki is just like not really a politically based person. Like she just doesn't. No. Yeah, like her dialogue is never really about politics. But L- Luke and Taylor's are. I mean, Luke more openly because he openly says these things that are blatantly well, political. But Taylor's think- whole thing is, what is it? Full-throated embrace of tradition. Yeah, it is. I think Luke and Su- Su- he also have in common that they pick up they're very observant it doesn't seem like suki is but mm-hmm. she is she notices things and hears things that that uh, lorelei says that lorelei is surprised yeah. later on that that suki because she seems to be in her own world but she and, and luke are both very observational they don't miss a beat either one of them even though with suki it seems like she's missing a lot mm-hmm. she isn't she is she is there she's paying attention unlike lorelei's daughter rory mm-hmm. who's getting gets a big I think that's a is that what what you have against this episode that's a big part of it yep. yeah I, it is a big part of it but yep. it's very real and when we get to it we should, we're getting ahead yeah yet, but when we get to it it's very real we've pretty much talked about everything in the opening scene we just got to the opening credits so let's push forward um so Lorelai is very excited about the snow she wakes up in the middle of the night opens the window uh lets in all of the cold air which is just a recipe to get yourself killed by hypothermia but she, <laughs> she is also I, okay let me give the alternate opinion here because I love this scene she's laying in bed they really lay it out very beautifully she's laying in bed and in fact I had to replay because I thought how did she get to the window downstairs I didn't see her come down the stairs mm-hmm. so she's looking out the window and she smiles and I'm, I'm hearing music and I'm thinking well is the potential boyfriend outside playing guitar for her that's what I thought this was at first because it's so it's that kind of romantic mm-hmm. um, it's very romantic photography yeah. and the smile on her face but instead she gets up and goes downstairs opens the window and looks outside and breathes in the air and realizes she smells snow yeah. now there will be people who disagree with Lorelai and me but I can smell when snow is coming too. So I'm one of those people. And when she said that, I thought, yes, those are my favorite kind of days in the winter when I it's crisp. Mm-hmm. It's a crisp uh, feeling yeah. or sense sensibility. You can just tell yeah. that snow is coming and it's cold. And so I completely get this. And it's just beautifully done. Yeah. And she sits down on her sofa and listens to the message from um, Max. Max that we don't realize at first she has been listening to all day because mm-hmm. he did leave it earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. She's been listening to it all day. We hear it. It's very cute. It's very romantic. And the, the two of them, when they're together, at least in this episode, they 
still have not, you know, gone on a date. And this scene with her listening to him and, and the whole, and, and their, all of their interactions in this episode are very cute, whimsical, romantic, very sweet. And that's part of what I liked about this. But that's just good writing. Yeah. I mean, and it's not it's not realistic. Nobody has that kind of a an ongoing exchange on a first date. Most first dates are pretty awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so it's True. not realistic, but it is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like, I, I do. So the, the one way that I can kind of relate to Lorelai in this scene is I think I feel about the first crisp day of autumn the way that she feels about snow mm. in this scene. Like, I, yeah, I, I can see that. I get yeah. this kind of excitement for autumn. Autumn, which of course is another thing that has been completely ruined by climate change but pressing forward i you know I, I like i do i do appreciate her joy in this scene i think it's just like as i was watching the scene i was like this was written by people who live in california <laughs> not people who live well, in connecticut and also the metaphorical part of it is that her first memory of snow was she had been sick she'd been sick for a week with an, an ear infection and she is younger than me so they still they call it an ear infection when i was a kid it was an earache and there was no treatment mm. i mean we you know we didn't have tylenol we didn't have any they didn't give us antibiotics for it it was the most painful mm-hmm. excruciatingly painful thing and you still you had a lot of, of, of earaches too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. infection so you know what i'm talking about but she'll when she has been sick for five or six days and she gets up and there's snow outside and that was her present and that made her feel better mm-hmm. so she, her association with snow is that good things come to her yeah. when it snows yeah. yeah so yeah so she listens to the message she does end up waking up rory but who checks the window immediately yes he's the mom she's always the mom yeah. <laughs> she creeps out about they talk about her being about him max being rory's teacher oh that's and this true. is this is important because it's foreshadowing for later on and I I agree with Rory completely it is a little creepy that Lorelai wants to date her teacher and it's it's creepy in the sense that it's going to be complicated no matter what you do so that's so there's a little bit of foreshadowing there and then we go on to the scene at the end yes and Michelle the only one with the right attitude (laughs) about the snow Uh, yes you love Michelle Um, but yeah, Lorelai asks him, how is it out there? And Michelle responds, it is cold and gray, like a fat dead pigeon. Fat dead pigeon. (laughs) Because Michelle is actually living in Connecticut. Michelle is you. Yes. (laughs) Michelle is me. Um, but yeah, so, and then there's a brief back and forth with Suki, who is putting maple sugar snowflakes on the pillows. Yeah, so she's, she's uh, made, you know, you probably, you remember when you were I remember kid, these very well, yeah. Sonia. Yeah, this Sonia the, made the them Santas. for you. Yeah, she made, yeah. yeah, she made them, and somehow you make them at home with sugar and water, mm-hmm. and, and, you, and you solidify them somehow. I never got into it, because they were too sweet for me. Yeah, but, I loved but, them. Oh, my gosh. You can, you can. <clears throat> you did love them. You can yeah. buy them. Actually, the place where I can buy them is at the Canadian border. <laughs> So yeah, yeah I, th- I think you can well, get maple sugar candy a little bit easier in Canada because you know they have all yeah. kinds you can of get them maple here too. products. You Actually, can, yeah. you can get them here too, but not they're not. I Trader Joe's has them a little bit mm-hmm. in the, in the in the winter. But this scene with her talking about making the maple syrup snowflakes and putting them on the pillows mm-hmm. in the end happens in counterpoint to what Michelle says how he sets up the scene he says something about it having the sensation of getting lost in a blizzard Mm -hmm. of freezing to death in the woods (laughs) and having to eat your friend's buttocks buttocks. now if (laughs) it feels like in this in this moment it feels like this is the episode the writers have been waiting for they pulled out all the stops with this is a gory visual that he gives us and it's accurate 
And it's and then Suki pops in and says, Oh, let's make maple syrup snowflakes and put them on the pillows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just the, love the back and forth the, of this scene. The two attitudes, either <laughs> dying in the woods and cannibalizing your friends, or adorable maple sugar snowflakes on the pillows. <laughs> Which then Michelle says, in the shape of the buttocks, to get them used to it. Um, unfortunately, then Lane and Rory come in and we get to the part of the episode that really rubs me the wrong way. Um, yeah, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. And like, I okay, so basically what's happening is Lane is trying to tell Rory about her crush and Rory is just ignoring her like throughout the episode. Over and yeah. over and over again for different reasons. For different reasons. Time. She always has a reason to not listen to her friend, even though we have seen up until this point, Lane be the absolute best best friend and like listen to her Mm -hmm. over and over ask her to retell the story like lane has been rory's biggest cheerleader until now and rory literally can't return the favor for five minutes it is very upsetting to me rory is there there are moments throughout the series where we realize that that rory is a very can't be a very self-absorbed person very self-absorbed and you know one of those one when when she first meets dean a couple episodes back and he talks about how she was sitting on the grass and she didn't see the blood spurting do you remember that yeah yeah she she didn't see the yeah there was like a soccer ball that hit somebody in the face or something yeah blood spurting everywhere kids Mm -hmm. screaming and she's sitting there reading and never looks up so she can be very focused and very self-absorbed and each time there's a different reason so at one point she's she's focused on finding her chemistry book and and, and there's like two or three different reasons it's like it's got. it's her book initially and then it's like she has to get cookies for dean and then it's literally dean and then i feel like later on it's like a different studying thing and then of course eventually she gets trapped at the grandparents house and the last one is yeah. not her fault but all of the other ones are all the other ones are and when they're sitting on the bench together and she's giving the cookies to this is the, the scene that was hard for me yeah she's giving the cookies to dean mm-hmm. and he kisses her and they have a long kiss and her friend lane is sitting there on the bench mm-hmm. with her watching this and she's been trying to get her to advise her on the, her own voice for the first time lane has a boy she likes yeah and he's he's got hair mm-hmm. that she is obsessing over that she just loves and she talks about it she's been trying to talk about it mm-hmm. she's been trying to talk to rory and say what should i do about this because you know rory has a little bit of experience now she's mm-hmm. been through her own first boy experience lane knows this she wants to get some advice and she cannot get rory's attention long enough to get her friend to say to her yeah what you're feeling is normal here's how you handle it any kind of advice it just makes her feel like she's mm-hmm. there yep you know she feels ignored yeah rory because rory is ignoring her i also i don't want to like linger on this but like one of the few things that rory actually asks her if the boy is if the boy she likes still wears the star trek shirt and she asks it in like this insulting way which i personally am offended by star trek shirts are great i think lane was offended by it too yeah the look on her face also so even before they go to meet dean i gotta say i am like not impressed with how lorelei and suki act in this scene because we are and granted like they don't know what's been happening up until that moment 
but Rory has been ignoring Lane this whole scene, and then they interact with Suki and Lorelai, and they both just act like Rory is the center of the universe, and Lane yeah. is like a freaking like background detail. Yeah, they both of those two girls are there, but Suki and Lorelai focus all of their attention on Rory and just come up with this elaborate song and dance to like joke about her boyfriend and it's like lane is not even there and it's pretty uh, awful it's now it on one hand suki is kind of her her surrogate father i mean suki yeah, kind sometimes of has played the role of, of her father but that that's pretty awful it's pretty mm-hmm. I, I can't even put a word to it it's like they're just so focused on her it's like lane's not even there yeah. so that reinforces lane's feelings yeah. of being ignored the the scene on the bench from the thing that i wrote in my notes was girls with their first boyfriends in high school. It's a very difficult situation for the best friend. I basically lost my best friend when she got into a serious relationship in high school, mm-hmm. and we were never friends again. Yep. I mean, it, it, it destroyed our relationship. And even to this day, I feel so disregarded be- because of what she did. Yeah. You know, and a lot of girls do that. Now, a lot of girls don't do that. Yeah. It, but it takes a strong... Well, and I'm older than you, but back then, it took a very strong person to not do that. Today, it may be a little bit easier for young women that they, you know, because they've had... 30, 40 years of being taught that their girlfriends are important too. Yeah. We've had a resurgence yeah. or a, what's the word I want? Kind of a renaissance of women realizing that their girlfriends, their women friends yeah. are just as important as the men in their lives. Mm-hmm. But there was a time and that wasn't true. If you didn't have a boyfriend and if you didn't have somebody who was serious and somebody to take you on dates and mm-hmm. go to the prom with and, and then earlier, of course, my mother's generation, marry yeah. and have babies with, then you weren't anything. Yeah. We were coming out of that when I was in high school, but we hadn't gotten there yet and it was a horrible feeling I mean and she would make fun of me too because of it and that's kind of that's almost a little bit what's going on here she's ignoring her to the point of it being so hurtful Mm -hmm. that Lane just doesn't know how to react and she's sitting in this ridiculous costume she's got her her band hat on with a feather and apparently that's a thing I didn't know this but band outfits they go through cycles so there are periods of periods when they've had these big fluffy things Mm -hmm. you know the feather thing and the periods when they don't have them I think and she I think she does have a big I think she does, on it. Yeah. So that was but she's she's in the band. Yeah, and Dean shows up and literally turns to Lane and says nice hat in a way that is like clearly meant to be sarcastic like a dig yeah. and you see like, Lane's and, face and make her feel like she's weird yeah like what what, what the hell is wrong with you and then yeah. it, it's as if she chose this outfit and then he just goes right back to ignoring her his, her his entire interaction with his girlfriend's best friend is nice hat and then ignore so Dean ignores her Rory ignores her uh Lorelai and Suki ignore her everybody's ignoring Lane and Lane you can just see it in her face mm-hmm. it, it's it's just a really bad morning for her yeah yeah it sucks and it's Friday because she's going to mom, mom and uh, grandma and grandpa's house that night. Yes. So a uh, uh, worry is. So we know already that this is Friday. Yes. Pretty much everything happens on Friday and Saturday in this episode. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense because it's an episode that doesn't have any actual Chilton stuff in it. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying about the girls who forget all of their friends the second that they get a boyfriend um i would say i i've been relatively fortunate in that regard and i do think it's partly because of changing societal attitudes and definitely i mean you know (laughs) i'd like not to give this show too much credit but we are living in a post sex in the city world and the whole point of sex in the city was basically that your friends are ultimately more important than your boyfriends or can be Mm -hmm. or at the very least are as as, important as important although i I will say hilariously having 
just rewatched the entirety of Sex and the City. Carrie is like the worst example of this. The second she has a boyfriend, everything is all about her. She cannot talk to anyone else about their problems. It's all about her and her boyfriend. This is a consistent theme on the show. And but you know, anyway. I, that's, that's one of the reasons why I can't watch that show. I think I've seen one or two whole seasons. And it was on for seven years, I think. So Six, I, I just yeah. couldn't watch it. I, I just thought her, she was so soft. I loved watching the actress. I think oh, the actress I is great. All the so, actresses. Sarah yeah. Jessica Parker I is, I, I feel like Sarah yeah. Jessica Parker does not actually get enough credit for how much she makes that show work. Because if it oh, were not does. for her incredible charisma and ability to make her character likable, you would not be able to stand Carrie at all. It is entirely yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker's effervescence that makes that show work. I, I love watching her. I love watching all all four of the actresses. Yeah. Uh, but her the most. And that was the only reason I stayed with it as long as I could because I could not stand the characters. Yeah. I couldn't stand the focus. I mean, well, the whole show, Sex and the City, yeah. it's about relationships with men. Mm-hmm. So, and, and none of them are gay. And even though well, one of the actresses is. <laughs> uh, so, so, Samantha <laughs> does have a girlfriend at one point, but you're right. Not, oh, yeah, that's right. She does. Yeah. None, yeah, none yeah. of them identify. Samantha's my favorite Samantha's character. the best Samantha character. Samantha is my favorite character. And Kim Cattrall is the other person who makes that show work. And that's why I will not watch the revival. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so she, to me, she is a character who is open to so much in life. And we're not supposed to be talking about a different show. <laughs> but but anyway, can't watch Sex in the City. And that's one of the reasons. Yeah. It's just the, the focus on men. But yeah, yeah. And, and so basically that was all just to say, like, I, I have I have known women who have really let their friendship suffer the second that they have started mm-hmm. a new relationship. I feel pretty fortunate that I didn't really experience that until I was an adult and mm. was kind of a little bit more emotionally able to deal with that. I mean, my best friend and I from high school, n- neither of us really had much of a romantic life, you know, like technically a little bit, but I, I feel really fortunate that my best friend and I never did this to each other basically yeah we yeah we always kind of came first for each other you know I wonder if that had to do with with you both being married or being married being <laughs> raised by two very strong feminist women yeah but yeah, all, all that is to say that, um, I don't know, maybe it's because I didn't have friends do this to me when I was in high school, but I was afraid of it happening, that this still just like rubs me the wrong way. Or maybe it's because I am in the generation where I'm at and like this behavior is understood now to be not acceptable, not cool. And I, I think also just because, you know, I like I, I do remember enough about this show and also like having seen the end of this episode, I just kind of feel like this show is giving giving Rory too much of a pass on her behavior in this episode. Yeah. Well, I think the the issue itself is, is important because relationships are important in, in any directions. You know, if you're a woman, your your relationships with your female friends are important. Part of your growing up, just like having your first relationship with a boyfriend. Those things and the thing is you learn from both and you grow you learn you you develop emotionally and psychologically and, and whatever from all kinds of relationships with older people with younger with children with boyfriends with girl with girlfriends so for you to put one above the other to, there's an imbalance yeah and that's what's happening here Rory is she's so lucky to have Lane yeah she is she's lucky to have her mother she's got some great female relationships and this is her first relationship with a boy yeah. but she's giving it more importance than she is the other relationships in her life yeah and at least with Lane yeah I mean not with her mom but with Lane and that's just that's an imbalance yeah. and that's going to cause problems and it's like it's not good for her it's not good for Lane no but you're right the, the writers do seem to give 
Rory uh, a pass on it. Although, at the very end of the episode, and we'll get to this, something does happen that's kind of makes you think. But anyway. Yeah, we can talk yeah. about the end when we get to the end. But yeah, okay, so that's that scene. Um, and then we cut back to Lorelai really briefly, who is again rhapsodic about the snow. And she's what? Rhapsodic? Rhapsodic. I don't know that word. Okay, May- maybe I made it up. Anyway. <laughs> um, but that's okay. She's Shakespeare. She... You're, we'll just call you Bill from now on. Uh, but sh- uh, she's she's talking about the snow again, and then Michelle lets her know that her mother is on the line, and uh, Emily is calling basically to tell her that the snow has gotten worse. She has sent their driver Lance to go and get Rory because Rory's school is very close to the grandparents' house, so they're able to get Rory there. But basically, it's the weather is too bad for Lorelai to go, and then Rory is there and Lorelai talks to her on the phone briefly and this would be the one thing that I identify with Rory with in this episode which is that she fell twice in her shoes that were not ready for the winter weather. My telltale experience in the winter is in fact slipping on the ice and falling on my butt. So. <laughs> well, and apparently she doesn't have the Wellingtons that I made sure I got you that first year. Yes. Because you were complaining about how you couldn't get a, the, the snow had frozen, mm-hmm. you couldn't walk. So we, I ordered some Wellingtons and had them sent to you. And those were perfect because they don't keep you warm, but they're tall. Yeah. And they, so, because the, the snow is very deep in Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. So that's, um I guess if any of you ever do need to do winter in Connecticut and you need to walk around, the key is actually not to wear snowshoes because most snowshoes mm-hmm will not actually keep you dry enough and it's kind of more important to stay dry than anything else so what you actually want are wellington boots and thick socks so the thick socks will provide your insulation and the wellington boots will keep you dry up to the knee because basically i was that is your psa for today yes i think it's my second psa technically my first (laughs) one was leash laws but yeah but yeah because uh my experience at the time was basically walking all the way across a college campus over a field of of literally several inches of snow topped by several inches of ice topped by more snow because basically the level of cold would fluctuate just enough to occasionally get hail and then occasionally get rain that would then freeze so it was just this sort of hellscape of different cold frozen different versions of froze, <laughs> frozen water well, on top and- of each other <laughs> Yeah, and in St. Louis, when it snows and then it rains, the rain will wash away the snow. Mm-hmm. But in Connecticut, because it's so cold, it, freezes. it just freezes it. Mm-hmm. So, And then you've got a foot and a half of crunchy snow to get through. So the mm-hmm. Wellingtons come in very handy, yeah. So the next scene is Luke watching the reenactors getting set up and trying to tell them not to do this. And at this point, it's pretty clear that it's not just that Luke is against the tradition for the tradition's sake, but that he's genuinely worried that these men are going to freeze to death. <laughs> that this yeah. is like, this is a dangerous thing that they are doing. And it's, uh, and, and he is also kind of, he is against the idea of doing a tradition just because it's a tradition. And that, and my question here is, is what is our takeaway in this? Are tra- traditions good? Are they bad? Do they help people feel good about themselves? Or do they reinforce bad things, bad history, bad stereotypes? You know, so that's, yeah, that's a question I think they're asking here. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think there is a point to be made on both sides. I definitely tend to agree 
agree a little bit more with Luke. I think because his what, I do too. His little speeches. Uh, tra- I like some traditions. Yeah, she does point out. You know, Christmas is a tradition. Thanksgiving is a tradition. Mm-hmm. Those are good ones. I think there are some traditions that are good. You know, I put my flag out on Fourth of July, and mm-hmm. I do not apologize for that because to me, Fourth of July is a, an important tradition where we honor democracy, and I put it out. Yeah. So, but this one reenactors. They're a funny group of people. They I mean, are. Re- I mean, they shouldn't say funny. They're their own culture. I mean, it's yeah. like all the reenactors know each other, mm-hmm. and, you know, in a community. Yeah. It's like St. Louis is pretty big. We've got a lot of reenactors here, and they all know each other. Yeah. It's a community. And you know, who who doesn't like dressing up like a Minuteman, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they're doing here. They're celebrating something that the town sees as part of their their history, and, they, yeah. and they're proud of it. Yeah. Uh, so here, I did write down Luke's speech, his short little speech. Uh, Tradition is a trap that allows people to stick their head in the sand. Everything in the past was so quaint, so charming. Times were simpler. Kids didn't have sex. Neighbors knew each other. It's a freaking fairy tale. Things sucked then too. It just sucked without indoor plumbing. Yeah, I wrote that down too, by the way. (laughs) Um, And then Lorelai comes back with, and she calls him, and I looked this up. Okay, Mouthy McGee. So I thought, what's a Mouthy McGee? Is that a thing? So I looked it up. Not a thing. It's from this show. Every (laughs) reference that I found is from this show. Okay. They made it up. All right, yeah. Mouthy McGee. Mouthy McGee, yeah. I mean, you know, Lorelai is clearly swept away by the snow, and I think she likes this tradition because it is essentially a way of celebrating the season of winter as well um, because of when they do it. Yeah, and I think so. And I do get that. And, you know, I will say, I, I feel like, honestly, only in the last couple of years have I gotten more on board with Christmas in general, and I feel like that's partly mm-hmm. because, I mean, you know, I am the child of divorce, and I think for a very long time to me thanksgiving and christmas were both kind of fraught affairs because there was yeah Yeah. there was always a back and forth between which family i was going to go to and all of this kind of stuff both logically and emotionally i'm a little bit more on luke's side generally uh, i have a much more fraught relationship with tradition and i think that it's important to understand that even if for you something like say christmas is an unambiguously joyous time there are some people for whom it is not and it can be a really hard time for those people well and you know i was raised in a very uh, a household that my mother loved tradition Mm -hmm. she she wanted everything to happen every year at the same time christmas was a big deal so i grew up with that then as soon as i started making my own life i made my own traditions and i did love having i mean there were 10 years in a decade there one at college and young and youth and all that when i didn't really make much of, of, of Christmas but then when I started having children it was a little bit different it was yeah. more fun you could you could do fun things together you could make cookies together and decorate them there were all kinds of things that we did as you know as a family that brought the quote-unquote joy of Christmas back to me however you weren't the only one to suffer during those divorce days yeah because there were many Christmas mornings after a divorce that I spent alone without my children yeah so that was rough yeah and so I completely understand both sides of this the traditional part I think the reason Lorelai loves the traditions traditions in the town the reason she puts up with them and she you know she makes fun of them but she loves them Mm -hmm. and I think the reason is she didn't grow up there she grew up in a family where traditions were more rigid Mm -hmm. class related and she escaped from that and this the townspeople took her in and helped her helped her to raise her child they gave her 
a new family, mm-hmm. a community. She loves them all yeah. beyond, you know, it, it's just, it's amazing. She just really loves these people because they were there for her when her parents abandoned her. And yeah. they did. Her parents abandoned her. And there's actually a scene yeah. later in this episode where, we, where we're going to find, we're going to revisit that. But they abandoned her and this, this town took her in. So this is her family. Yeah. And I've said this before, but this is her family. And she can, she understands and accepts her traditions a lot more readily than Luke does. Mm-hmm. And she's got different reasons for doing it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I will say, I think this exchange between Luke and Lorelai is really cute. And it really shows kind yeah. of how complimentary their personalities are, which mm-hmm. will get a little bit paid off in a later scene. So the next, <laughs> the very next scene is, uh, my note on it is, Lane goes insane and touches a boy's hair without permission. Oh, and, my God. And then in a very Rory moment, runs away. <laughs> Neither one of those things makes sense to me. It's like, why did she touch this boy's hair? I don't know. Although, on the other hand, I also wrote in my notes that I can kind of understand doing that. It's, you know, if you're with a man and you're feeling attracted to him and he's got great hair, but it would be on a date. Yes. It wouldn't be your high school bandmate standing next to you and he, he leans down to tie his shoe or pick up his music or whatever. Yeah. And you just put your head, it's the guy that you don't even talk to. You don't even, he, you don't even know that he knows you're alive mm-hmm. and you put your hand in his hair. That's, that's a little off. Yeah, it's a little off. But to be fair, Lane clearly knows it was the wrong call oh immediately yeah. well it's like she's in it's like she's in a, a, a trance when yeah. she does it and then she wakes up and realizes what she's done uh-huh. and everybody's looking at her and he's looking at <laughs> oh, her and no. she screams and runs off <laughs> he does have great hair but yes, i mean yeah. it's, it's kind of thick and curly and but it's you know it's been highlighted it's blonde highlighted not that it's not a natural color is what yeah. I'm saying the actors had her hair highlighted yeah but yeah so that but that scene goes by pretty quick we'll get back to Lane and then we have uh, Lorelai walking around again and she finds Max who has very conveniently had vehicle issues right in Stars Hollow and by conveniently we mean Rory is at her grandparents' uh-huh. house for the night and he has nowhere to go yeah. he has broken down. On a Friday night in Stars Hollow. Mm-hmm. Also, just another quick note on the ongoing issue with Netflix is very bad at writing out its closed captioning. Netflix thinks that Max was teaching at Stanford with an N, as in the school yeah. in California. That is not what he is saying. It's Stamford no. with, an with an M, as in Mary. That is a town yeah. in Connecticut. It's a town. <laughs> That we drove through on our way to mm-hmm. take you to college, so we knew that, yeah. Also, when I went to the Tegan and Sarah concert in New York, we had to park my car in Stamford and then take the train in. Anyway, mm-hmm. all right, so then we cut back to the grandparents. Their current cook is named Florence, and she cannot get there because of the storm, and Emily is duh. freaking out. Yeah, duh. Like, I think this is my other issue with this episode, is like, while Lorelai is too chill with the snow, I feel like Emily is too panicked. You've yes, lived in Connecticut your whole life how have you never experienced a storm like this before like she's acting like she has literally never had the experience of her hired help who don't live in the house not being able to get there because of the weather and i'm sorry this has happened to you before if you have lived in connecticut again it's literally a yearly occurrence that there is a storm so bad that you have to prepare for the possibility that you might a not be able to go anywhere and b lose power it is wild to me that emily is 
this unprepared. But she starts. Well, that, that doesn't bother me as much as the fact that she cannot even figure out how to turn it on her oven. Yeah. Or to <laughs> find something in her refrigerator that they can cook because the cook isn't there. Mm-hmm. So she's panicked also. Then what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to starve. And of course, Richard says, oh, well, let's, let's just go out to eat. And she says, Richard, it's snowing outside. <laughs> where? How are we going to go anywhere? How are uh, we going to go anywhere? And, you know, and, and we're always standing there watching this like, what is wrong with these people? Yeah. Do they not know that there is food in the refrigerator that you can cook it? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Richard does get oh. one pretty good line because um, Emily is, uh, she, she says something like, this is the one time a week that Rory gets decent food. And Richard calls out to Rory, Rory, are you in any way malnourished or in need of some international relief organization to yeah. recruit a celebrity to raise money on your account? And she just goes, I'm good. Yeah, I, I think... Um... Emily is much harder on Lorelai and Rory's living situation than Richard is. Mm-hmm. I think he realizes that Lorelai, that Rory is a healthy 16, 17 year old yeah. and has been fed just fine. Yep. So she's she's not in any way starving, but yeah. it's Anyway, so they, they, they switch back and forth between that scene and the scene with Max. Yes. I do just want to say, because that does happen in the first chunk of this scene, they do go to the freezer. There are a bunch of parcels of food in there that they apparently don't yeah. think are anything but they do find a frozen pizza which apparently probably belongs to their maid anna so two things here first of all they do apparently have at least two hired help people there's anna mm-hmm. and there's florence and second they are stealing their maid's pizza i certainly hope they replaced it all i'm gonna well, say well and in addition to that the, the packaging that's in the freezer looks like it's all meat it does yeah so they don't they're looking in the freezer they're not looking in the refrigerator my first thought was you don't have anything in the in the refrigerator it's because the meat's gonna have to thaw yeah so true. she they're right about that and what, but then when Rory pulls the pizza out, she her grandmother has such a, a freak out about pizza. That's something you need at a, at a circus, at a circus, or, or in or, prison, or in a or Turkish, in prison, yeah. a Turkish prison specifically. <laughs> Turkish prison, yeah. And so I'm thinking, well, you know, a Friday night pizza. There's probably lettuce in the refrigerator. They can make a salad. They don't. They don't. You know, because no. of course she's a teenage girl. She's the one doing the cooking, so she's not making a salad. She just makes pizza. Mm-hmm. But but it is. It's a fascinating, and it, it's a little overdone because. We Really? People that wealthy have never cooked in their lives? I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I feel is like it? the biggest thing about that that is unbelievable to me is we have seen how much food gets cooked on the Friday night dinners, and there's always stuff left on the plate. They don't have any yeah. leftovers that can be warmed up. How much right. waste are they going right. through if the leftovers well, from every meal are thrown out? I bet the hired help takes it home. I hope they do. I genuinely hope yeah. they do because at least yeah. then it's not getting wasted. I would. I, that would be my guess, especially since the pizza in there belonged to the other maid. And especially if Emily and Richard are maybe not paying them enough. But there is a, there is a little bit of a contentious argument going on between Richard and, and Emily in yeah. this scene too, which which is we don't see a lot of that. I mean, they're kind of going back and forth at each other yeah. a bit. And they usually, except for the, the party, you know, the party, the birthday party a couple of episodes back, they pretty much get along really well and agree with each other. Mm-hmm. And they don't in this episode. They're 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 pretty, they're going at it. I mean, I feel like it's, it's a very gendered argument too because Richard basically keeps yeah. taking pot shots at Emily for not knowing how to do anything in the kitchen. But meanwhile, he has none of the answers either. And yet somehow mm-hmm. he's not the butt of a joke because of that yeah so i will point out here too that a lot of times movies and television will show us wealthy people who actually do cook together yeah 
But but I wonder how realistic that is because there's an episode in Grace and Frankie. Gonna bring this up. Well, there's actually quite a few episodes where Grace has a new boyfriend mm. played by, and I can't think of the actor's name now. But he was in your the OC show that you like so much. Was it Sandy and Cohen? He, Wait, I know the actor's name. No, no, no. It was a dad. Yeah, um, Sandy Cohen is the dad. Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher. Yes, Peter Gallagher. I love God, Peter gorgeous. Gallagher. I love. I him. love Peter Gallagher, and and he's he is fifteen to eighteen years younger than Jane Fonda. Plays her boyfriend and eventually her husband. And every time he says, "Oh, let me make you some food," what he's really saying is, "I have my chef waiting in the car for me." The chef comes in. <laughs> the chef travels with him wherever he goes because oh, he's great. that wealthy. <laughs> Yeah, it is great. It's a funny gag. You only see it a couple times. They don't overdo it, but it is funny. And, and Peter Gallagher's character in that show is just so much fun. So you don't you don't hold it against him that I like unlike these two who you're know, kind of holding it against them that they don't know how to cook. All right. So yeah. So then we do uh, flip back to Max and Lorelai, and they have a little exchange that is funny, but I have mixed feelings about. Um, he's he's talking about he he says he almost got married and explains that the almost is because she's in thailand now and lorelei responds with sex trade and he says bank of america uh and she says well it's usually one or the other i do think that her second comment there is pretty funny on the other hand do think that immediately identifying thailand with the sex trade is pretty racist so uh, mixed mixed feelings Um, but yeah i don't know well and and, but then he also says that he let that relationship go or didn't didn't let it destroy him Mm -hmm. because he said if it was meant to be it would be and she they have talked about earlier in the episode about how he kind of believes in fate and she says to him fate poetry love they all go together maybe he says i think he says that but yeah. yeah, but fate, poetry, and love, they all go together. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty good line. I think the term that he uses, in that in that sentence, he does say fate, but he also uses the term kismet, and I think that's mm-hmm, how he initially mm-hmm, brings it up. Uh, but yeah, so then we do flip back to Rory briefly, where she is in Lorelai's childhood bedroom, mm-hmm. and she finds... And why is she there? She's there because the contentious back and forth between her grandparents is kind of bugging her. Yeah. So she, she goes upstairs. So it's really, it's, it's an extreme situation with them in this episode which they don't usually do but yeah so she yeah. goes up to the bedroom yeah pulls out the photo album yeah and she finds a one of those i'm not sure what they're called but one of those like photo strips that you take in a photo booth of mm-hmm. lorelei and christopher and she kind of mm-hmm. pockets that and it's a it's a, a series of four cute photos when they're very young yeah. they look like they're 15 or i mean they're probably not even well if she had Laura, uh, rory at 16 they were dating at 15 yeah exactly so and they are very young in those pictures yeah, yeah. but then she gets and it's sweet yeah. It's sweet. It is. She it's says, it's is, very cute. This is my mom and dad. This is my mom and dad. I want these pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she gets a buzz on her pager and goes to call. I believe the way this worked is the pager would show you what number was paging you and then you would call it back. Oh, I didn't notice the pager. Okay. Yeah, she, she like pulls out her All pager right. and that's when she goes to the phone and calls Lane, but she's actually calling her own house and Lane picks up, which is how she discovers mm-hmm. that Lane is hiding at her house. Uh, and this is a point, 2000, I guess they would not have had cell phones yet. Is that? I think it would not have been super common for sure well you were 12 or 13 when this was when the show was on so yeah. and you you didn't have a cell phone until you were 14 or 15 yeah okay 
so I didn't have a pager either, but Rory is the kind of person who, like, her life is in many different places, so it does sort of make sense that she would have a pager. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so she calls Lane, and Lane very rightfully complains about Rory's treatment of her in this episode. She does a little bit unjustly blame Rory for the hair touch moment, but her other complaints are accurate. She misplaced aggression, but yes, her other uh, complaints are completely justified. Mm -hmm. So I I wrote down that Lane is angry on the phone. It's misplaced aggression in one point. At one point, because yes. she blames Rory for this. In kind of a way that makes sense, though, yeah. because if Rory had let her talk, she might have handled it a little bit better, is what yeah. she's saying. You didn't listen to me. You weren't my friend. You're supposed to be my best friend. And because of that, I made this stupid mistake. Yeah. Now, she might have made the stupid mistake anyway. Yeah. But anyway, the point is, she gets Rory's attention yes. for the first time. She finally does. Unfortunately, right at that moment, the phones go dead. Yeah, of course they do. And so then we get back to Lorelai and Max. And this is where they are in the theater but it's kind of a weird theater like the the it's layout like somebody's of it, front living room yeah, or something. yeah. It, it looks like it's in someone's living room and i do think that this location might come up again uh it looked very familiar do they to not me. they don't have a movie theater i guess i, and, and I think this, so small i think this is the movie theater like it's just like someone it's like it's a movie theater but it used to be a house or something i'm not totally sure okay i think we might okay. come back to it and they're sitting in it kind of reminded me of that theater in midtown here in st louis that has you know club chairs the and moolah. couches and the moolah yeah, yeah that, that's kind of what it was only much smaller, much smaller it was definitely yeah. a room yeah yeah the moolah yeah. is huge but yeah so this is where we see that Lorelai does in fact talk in the middle of movies she's being very oh. annoying right now <laughs> very annoying and yet this is where they have their first kiss I mean they, yes. they haven't kissed before right so okay. I, I think this is the first kiss it also did feel a little bit weird to me because like it, it is it's one thing to make out in a movie theater it's another thing to make out in a movie theater that feels like it's somebody's living room like yeah <laughs> Yeah, just... that's a very good point. That is a very good point. But uh, it's their first kiss. Yeah. So, it, but and it's because the conversation is happening while the movie is playing. Yes. What was the movie? Had they seen it before? I think. Okay, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think it was like an old horror movie. It looked really familiar to me. I feel like it's it was either the original version of 13 Ghosts or the original version of House on Haunted Hill. Not to be compu- confused with The Haunting of Hill House. Two different yeah. movies. I I think it was House on Haunted Hill. Also, okay hilarious note i'm pretty sure peter gallagher is in the remake of house on haunted hill so well and 13 ghosts stars martin whose last milner his last name doesn't come to me star of adam 12 and an avocado farmer don't ask me how i know this trivial shit okay but- <laughs> okay is it milner and he was in he was in adam 12 which was on a long time this was his his first big role in 13 okay. ghosts and I, but i didn't recognize it was just a, it was a split second so I, yeah I really it was very okay it it's 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 house on haunted hill i found a still that basically is yeah house on haunted hill 1959 but yeah it's, it's just like a, a flash of like a scary person doing a scary movement and i, I found it it's house on haunted hill uh, 1959 with vincent price who is from st louis oh Oh, okay. I think I did know that at one point, but I forgot. So we've got that. uh, And then we cut back to the grandparents eating pizza. Richard kind of embraces it immediately. Emily is a little more hesitant. Did Richard pick up his pizza or did he use a fork and knife like Emily's doing? Can't remember. I'm not sure. Emily's cutting it. Yeah, Emily attempts to cut it. And here's the thing. I had to one time when I was in, oh, South Carolina. I got pizza in South Carolina. It was so hot that I had the first couple bites had to use a fork and knife until it cooled down a little bit, which is what she's trying to 
to do, I think, mm-hmm. too. Well, she starts cutting it and then realizes it's hot. So, and a friend of mine said that that's a common thing in New Jersey, apparently, because I've always seen people in New Jersey, huh. you know, pick up their pizzas and kind of double it up. They double it in New York, too. They double their pizza up and yeah. eat it like a sandwich. And she, and but she said, no, when it's hot, we use a fork and a knife. So, anyway, so that's what she's doing here, but it also seems very prim. Yeah. But she's using a fork and knife to cut her pizza. And then um, she keeps complaining about it not being any good. Richard mm-hmm. likes it, but she doesn't. So, Rory brings out the che- the parmesan. Uh, parmesan cheese, and it's, she's shredding it with a shredder mm-hmm. onto the pizza. She's not using it from, from a jar of craft. Yeah. It's real fresh Parmesan cheese, which makes all the difference. It yeah. gives it a much better flavor. And she mentioned something that her mom does that we did for years. We would buy $3 frozen pizzas mm-hmm. and add our own ingredients, yeah. add a little bit of extra cheese, maybe pepperoni. Add a mm-hmm. little. So it was the cheapest way to have pizza on Friday night, and we did that a lot. And it's, a, and it's a single mom technique, so mm-hmm. another Beth and Lorelai tradition. <laughs> yeah, that although put single moms everywhere. I do think it's kind of funny that Rory presents it as if her mother invented putting extra Parmesan on pizza. Which like this this method yeah. is definitely like the better way to do it and the less traditional way to do it. But like almost every freaking pizza parlor in America has a little thing of grated Parmesan. Like oh yeah, absolutely. Lorelai did not invent but she also. This. She also said that Lorelai put a lot of other ingredients True. on it, too. She would True. add other things to it, True. which is what we did. So we yeah. added ingredients. And that, yeah, I think that is something that people do. Yeah. It's a great way to get cheap pizza. You have the ingredients in the mm-hmm. house, throw some olives on it, throw some extra cheese, So and, and, and just keep it anyway. So. I think also the fact that Rory does something to it basically gives Emily an in to enjoying it. Like, she's very yeah. hesitant, but it's almost like as soon as Rory comes over and does this, you can kind of, like, see on Emily's face that she's much more open to it now because Rory mm-hmm. has given it this kind of personal touch yeah. and made it seem a little bit less like it came out of a box. And sure enough, she tries it again, and this time she loves it. And she loves it so much that she goes over to Great Sum on to Richard's Pizza uh, because he mm-hmm. has to have the true experience and then they have the conversation about errol flynn which i just love <laughs> yes I, that was I, cute. It, it's like they're talking about her sister this would be emily's sister who lives in france who she hasn't seen in a long yes. time Hopey. oh it's in, it's in the album the picture the photo album they get yeah. that out they see this picture of her mm-hmm. and they talk about that and then richard says oh we should travel and emily says that would be great and then i don't know how it comes up but he talks about how oh their wedding there's a wedding picture in there oh yeah and he he, he says well you know i really wanted to he maybe he says he says she really wanted to marry errol, errol flynn, flynn. And they get off and, and he starts talking about how she went <laughs> yes and he, he also he also he mentions a different woman that he would have married if Something... Lucinda Lester, yeah, looked looked a lot like Errol Flynn, yes, and and then he says, yeah, she did kind of have a mustache, and but also <laughs> Emily jokes that maybe she should have married Lucinda Lester instead, uh, which yes, right. I feel like is... was actually kind of a more progressive joke than you would expect out and of she, Emily. It was, yeah, it was, and she kind of says, "I'm." She's drinking her wine too, so you, at that point you're thinking, "Oh, she's had a couple of glasses of wine," because mm-hmm. she says this, and then she kind of says, "You know, I can be modern." Yeah, and anyway, but my my thinking is, and what I wrote down is that Rory brings out the best in these two people yes and it's kind of sad because Lorelai didn't they were just they just you know were 
constantly at loggerheads. With, yeah. But Rory brings out the best of them, and I can't quite figure out what the difference is, uh, but it, but it's lovely to watch. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say. You know, it could be just because she's their grandchild. A little distance there. Yeah, and they've, yeah. they've had the experience of being bereft of their child for long enough mm-hmm. that maybe they've just softened a little in the meantime. And, and, and Rory is at least academically what they wanted. So she's a little bit more of she a is. compromise, you know. And she's not a smartass. Yeah. I mean, Lorelai is a smartass, and they do not like that that part of her personality. They yeah. don't like the, the constant snarky comebacks. Yeah. And you, they don't get those from Rory. She yeah. actually engages with them. She's interested in them. Mm-hmm. She's kind uh, of she deferential to them. them. She's deferential to them. Yeah. She's fascinated by their lifestyle. She wants to know about them. Mm-hmm. She wants to know more about. That's why she called. That's why she pulls out the photo album. Mm-hmm. She wants to know who the people are in. And the next person they see is a picture of her mother. Yeah. And her coming out dress. And it's funny because the picture, she looks so happy. Mm-hmm. Lorelai is, she's like twirling in the dress. And she, you know, Lorelai likes clothes. And mm-hmm. you can see that she loves this dress. And Rory innocently asks, it's so pretty. What was it for? And it was for her coming out party. And they both kind of just shut down. Yep. And at first I'm thinking, why are they shutting down? Should she refuse to do the, oh no. She was pregnant yep. and could not do the coming out party. Mm-hmm. And that is their biggest shame in life is that their daughter got pregnant at 16. Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of a trauma you know this was very traumatic to them to them this was the moment that their happy life kind of ended and Mm -hmm. you know they had high hopes for her yeah they wanted a coming out they wanted a good marriage they wanted to go to a good university Mm -hmm. have a career i mean they weren't opposed to her having a career they they wanted that for Mm -hmm. her but they really wanted to have a good marriage and that's in their their part of society that starts with the coming out party before we move on from the scene they start by looking at a picture of lorelei when she was a baby and rory comment is that's one fluffy white dress and emily says yes there were 12 (laughs) petticoats underneath it they put that baby in 12 petticoats so this is the other side to what's happening here is rory did not grow up with them as her parents so she did not have 12 petticoats to rebel against All right, so the next scene is uh, Luke bringing coffee out to the reenactors. Which is so sweet. It's It's so so sweet. sweet. It's the softer side of Luke. He's railed against them this whole time, and then he gets some hot coffee out for them. And tall. Really big, tall cups of coffee. Big coffees. Um, And like I mentioned. ounces at least. Yeah, like I mentioned before, coffee keeps coming up over and over. Uh, He brings Mm -hmm. out the coffee, and in typical fashion, Kirk immediately asks, asks for something else he asks for tea. herbal tea yes herbal tea with mm-hmm. lemon in it uh, a couple of the other guys want hot cocoa and luke instead of being a curmudgeon about it is basically immediately taking her their, their order yep. and then unfortunately he looks to the side and he sees lorelei on her date and you can just see his face and kind this of is crumble it crumbles and this yeah. is after their kiss so they are being lovey-dovey and they're holding each other and kissing as they walk through the snow it's a very very romantic scene mm-hmm. and he sees how romantic this is and it's that moment that we become convinced for the first time that he is madly in love with her mm-hmm. and this is just this is the worst thing that could happen to him on on this night it's really sad it's it's a sad moment 
but but then we push on to Lorelai and Max kind of up close. They have gotten back to the house and Lorelai basically has to pause on the porch because she has to think about letting him in. You know, obviously they are at the point where he doesn't really have another option at this point, except maybe to go to the inn. But even then he'd have to get there. But even so, this is kind of a huge... I mean, she she talks about it as like it is a rule for her that she has Mm -hmm. never brought a man back to the house. And that's mainly because, uh, as she said before, she doesn't she doesn't want Rory's life to be impacted by her dating life, which is a reasonable and good thing to do if you are a single mom. You know, kids need a certain amount of stability. You don't want to be introducing people to them who are just going to disappear. And that's how she's lived her life. And even though things have been going well with Max, that doesn't mean that she's totally ready to break this barrier. Yeah, and it is only their first date. And she she has a history. She got pregnant at 16. She's been very Mm -hmm. careful and also articulate about her desire to not have her daughter follow in her footsteps. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the scene. On the other hand, her daughter is 17 Mm -hmm. and will be going off to college in less than two years. And at that point, she's entitled to have a life. Yes. So that's got to be going through her mind. Should she break her rule? Fate is one of those things that's been a theme in the episode. Is fate giving her the opportunity to be a grown-up because Rory's not there that night? How is she going to know? And Rory is growing up. Should should the same rules apply when your daughter is 17 as when she was 7? These are all kinds of questions that are going on and she she seems to decide very it takes a while takes her a few minutes she seems to decide it's okay to let him in she's not sure she's going to have sex with him yet Mm -hmm. but she's definitely going to let him in the house they're going to start with coffee of course because the coffee keeps coming up in the thing Mm -hmm. and and this is where we get the scene where she says that she likes it strong Mm -hmm. but i'm really thinking that she just has so much of it and that's why she has such a high but um but so they make they start to make the coffee and then lane comes out am i missing something here uh well they 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 start to make the coffee but then they kind of get distracted by their physical attraction to each other and they actually start making out pretty hard oh, that's right. and yes. that's and when they start, Lane comes out yeah they start yeah. moving up the stairs towards mm-hmm. the bedroom mm-hmm. yeah not even to the couch nope. but up to the bedroom up to the bedroom which you know mm-hmm. to a certain extent makes sense I mean they're clearly very physically attracted to each other and they're both mm-hmm. adults uh, Lorelai is at least 32 I, I think there was a reference to the fact that her birthday might be in the winter so she's 32 almost 33 she's an adult you know she's ready to have a sex life unfortunately she is also a mom and when lane comes out and interrupts them lane kind of tries to do the nice thing and is like oh no you guys can make out i'll just go hide in rory's room yeah she immediately (laughs) starts playing the cure which is basically the music of sadness and lorelei understands that immediately thank you i did not know that i didn't know what the reference was oh she's playing the cure yes i don't even know who that is so the <laughs> the cure is like I, I I'm not super familiar with the cure, but I know that like the the kind of stereotype or whatever about the cure is that you only play it when you're depressed. Okay. They are a, a, a band of depression. Okay, that's um, good to know. So yeah, so she recognizes that the music is the cure. It's sad music. She has to go and check on Lane because she's the mom. Mm-hmm. And I I think that you know I I will say on the one hand I think that her interaction with Lane here a little bit helps to make up for how she acted earlier when she was ignoring lane but Mm -hmm. on the other hand 
much. But it, 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 to me, it also kind of underlines why that other scene bothered me so much. Because yes, technically, Lane does have her own mom. But we have shown time and again that Mrs. Kim is not a good emotional support for Lane. And so Lorelai kind of is the emotional support parent for Lane. Yeah. And, and I know that she's not really her mom. And maybe that's technically not her job. But that is kind of a job that she has somewhat accepted. And this scene proves that, which makes it frustrating to me that in the earlier scene, she so ignored Lane or like praised Rory at the expense of Lane, you know? Well, and I think in that scene in particular, she was oblivious. To yes. And I think that was part, they needed that, it was a, it's a plot point. Mm-hmm. They needed to, to, to emphasize how Lane was, was feeling. Yeah. It does feel out of character for them. Because she does have kind of a semi, she's a more realistic parent for Lane. Yes. And uh, when Lane has issues that are modern and realistic for our, for the time we're living in, she can take those to her mother when she can't take them to Mrs. Kim. Yeah. Mrs. Kim is like she's living in a, in a different century. Yeah. So she loves her daughter more than life. Yeah. But but she does not always give her the she never gives her good advice. No. And yet Lane respects her mom so much. It's she amazing. Does. I mean, yeah. she she really respects her traditions. But so yeah, it, it's really hard to see that, but I think it was a plot point. So she they do make up for it. I'm 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 visualizing the visualizing the writer thing. You know, we really kind of screwed her over in that scene. We gotta <laughs> give them a good scene. So they do. She combines to Lorelai and Lorelai does a good job with her. Yeah. She, she really does. does a good job. She tells her, you know, this is nothing compared she doesn't say it's nothing she doesn't say that but she said this is the first time you've had a really difficult situation in your life you're going to have a lot more yeah and you're going to be embarrassed you're going to be humiliated it's going to keep happening and what's important about this is how you respond to it how you react to it and of course we don't know yet how she's going to do that i'm assuming in the next episode we will see the yeah, consequences we'll see. of that yeah i, I but, don't um, remember specifically it's the, it's the end of the episode, so yeah. he doesn't get a chance to talk about what she's going to do. But but Lorelai strengthens her confidence level. Yeah. Lane is a confident young woman. Yeah. And this has destroyed her confidence. I mean, I think she's and... kind of similar to Rory in that she's confident in all the parts of her life except when it comes to boys. boys. That's true. So then we get Rory comes. So then they decide because the girl's in the house. There's a teenager in the house. They would have met Rory. Yeah. They, they can't they have can't, sex, yeah. so he sleeps on the couch. He has nowhere to go, so he has to sleep on the couch. Yeah. Because she falls asleep with this book on his chest he's reading. But she goes upstairs, and oh. she goes to bed, and she wakes... Oh, go ahead. Before she goes upstairs, she does stroke his hair. Yes, that's... Yeah. You caught that. Yeah, very good. Very good. Because so she... It's a thing. It's, it's a real yeah. thing. It, it totally makes sense. And I'm, I'm kind of... I, I'm mentioning it because I thought it was a sweet moment, and I thought it was kind of a nice counterpoint to the other where it's Mm -hmm. like you know like lane shouldn't have done what she did because she didn't have permission but you know when you do have permission it's kind of a nice gesture it's it's a gesture of intimacy that isn't explicitly sexual it's kind of affectionate yeah Yeah. and and it's kind of a nice like okay they're not going to get to have sex but she can touch his hair and that is Mm -hmm. something his head yeah well and it's not only that lane didn't have permission to touch the boy's hair it's that he has no no idea that she is in interested in him uh-huh. this is out of the blue what the fuck are you doing woman that's that's he, the look that he gives him he wasn't he wasn't <laughs> even looking at her like he was literally like doing something with his instrument and all of a sudden feels a hand on his head and and, and they've known each other since they were five years old mm-hmm. and this is something that she mentioned earlier in the episode she said you know early in the episode she's like he's we've known each other since he was five but all of a sudden he's different he's got this great hair and i just can't stop looking at him yep <laughs> <laughs> 
Yep. But yeah, so then Lorelai goes upstairs to go to bed. And I think the next scene is Rory coming home, apparently having been driven home by the driver. Yeah, by the grandparents driver. I think that I think Richard drives himself, but I think Emily always has a driver. Okay, is that, that your impression? Or I'm, is I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I just know that like Emily referenced him earlier in the episode. She called him Lance. So you know that he is their driver. But uh, so, so Lorelai ends up running down the stairs so that she can basically get to Rory before Rory sees the man in their living room. Yeah. She's going to see him. Yes. She just wants to prep her for it. Yeah. She wants to prep her for it, which I think is a good impulse. Yeah. And so she basically tries to, she, she tries to prep Lori, Rory for it. She tries to kind of explain what happened basically because she didn't intend to have a, a man over that night you know it's sort of a series of happenstance that led her to this moment she does say that snow is like catnip to her which i think makes sense in context but i will say i have a cat and we have given her catnip if you're taking it literally that does not make any sense this is not what no. catnip does to you catnip either that- makes a cat fall asleep or it makes them go crazy go and run crazy. around the house yeah the, neither it's not of these an aphrodisiac. things yeah it's not well, an aphrodisiac. She, they should they they meant that it was an aphrodisiac for yeah. her but what they they could gotta be a better a word out there that they could have used yeah writers do your job yeah so <laughs> that's the wrong word it's not catnip uh, lorelei it's, like aphro- it's an aphrodisiac yeah, yeah. lorelei was not like running at top speed around the town that's not what was happening no but also she in this scene with rory they kind of hash it out mm-hmm. she explains to her what everything that went into her decision to let him spend the night and Rory seems to understand it but the problem for Rory isn't so much well was two problems for Rory one is that it's her teacher and it's still kind of weird because they think they they use the s word they say something about sex mm-hmm. and she says oh I can't you, you can't use that word about my teacher yeah but but the other thing is that Rory has found this picture of her parents mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it means at this point it I mean everybody wants their parents to be together mm-hmm. and anybody who's a child of divorce you are I am uh or has you know lived with a mother or father who never married the the, the other parent mm-hmm. it, oh and we see this a lot in tv and 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 film too it's heartbreaking to not have the two people who created you live together mm-hmm. but on the other hand sometimes it's it's the best choice yeah it certainly was for for Lorelai and Chris so I think we over romanticize that and Rory is missing that she's never had that and I think she would like that she's never had it she didn't even have it when she was five like you guys had mm-hmm. I think that's part of how she's able to be this unconflicted about it because she does not have the experience of, you know, Mm -hmm. them being married and fighting all the time. You know, she doesn't have a negative experience to show her that this would be a bad idea. You know, she she has mostly positive feelings about both of her parents. So it makes sense that she would want them to be together. You know, she doesn't really have a very concrete reason. Yeah. She's wondering about it. What would it be like? Yeah. And and I don't know. She does have a relationship with her dad. We don't haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Uh, She sees him once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. And they talk and they've referenced that they talk once in a while. It's not a close relationship, but they do acknowledge each other and spend a little bit of time together mm-hmm. but not a lot and i didn't know how to react to this is it heartbreaking is she just wondering does she want it to happen does the relationship with the teacher with Rory's teacher make her sad that it's not her, her biological father mm-hmm. I, I just don't know i think there's i think we're supposed to 
think that. I think yeah. we're supposed to wonder what's going on. Yeah, I, th- I think it's not really clear. And to be honest, I'm not even sure that Rory has a definitive want in this scene. It's more just mm-hmm. like she doesn't know how to feel about Lorelai dating other men. And she has mm-hmm. just found this picture of her parents together. And mm-hmm. ma- I mean, maybe she has never really seen pictures of them together before. And I so don't maybe, think she has. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's never even really occurred to her that at one point they were a happy couple. That's and- a good point. I don't think she's ever mm-hmm. visualized them together. They, she knows that he's her dad, but she's never seen them together. Yeah. You know, except to probably in a handoff. Yeah. You know, if, if he comes and picks her up or whatever, but not in a happy photo where they're clearly, you know, they're kind of kissing and they're mm-hmm. and, and in the photo and they're kind of, they're hugging. She's never seen that before. Yeah. It's, it's the first time. It gives the, it gives her world a whole different, a whole different kind of, ta- a whole different perspective, a whole different context. Yeah. For her, for her parents. Yeah. Before we close out the episode, I do also want to get back to Lane really fast. Lane slept the night in Rory's room and they have kind of a final conversation in the kitchen and Rory does well Rory does kind of apologize but I don't really like everything about the way this scene is written because it starts Mm -hmm. with Lane kind of starts with Lane apologizing like Lane somehow thinks that she's the one who needs to apologize here and she's like oh I overreacted like I shouldn't have put all of that on you and like no Lane you didn't overreact you shouldn't have touched the boy but you did not overreact (laughs) With Rory. Rory was being a bad friend. She was a bad friend. She She absolutely was. And Rory doesn't seem to really acknowledge that. She kind of does, but she's not really. She kind of does, but we... She's not getting it. Yeah, like, she she tells Lane that it's not her fault, but she doesn't really take all of the responsibility, and we end on Mm -hmm. a note of Rory being like, I do want to hear about it. You, You should, like, let's meet up again this weekend, and then you can tell me all about it. And then Lane says, and you can tell me all about the teacher situation. And I'm just like... Or maybe for once it can just be about Lane because it's always about Rory. Maybe Rory doesn't need to be centered in this conversation again. Like maybe your next hangout can just be about Lane because all of the ones leading up to this have been just about Rory. But so maybe they, they do set a time. They do set a time that afternoon at Luke's. Yeah, and it is apparently enough for Lane. I'm just like, for me, it is not enough. I am still upset about the situation, and I, th- I feel like the, the you, dynamic and, here is that it's still got to be about Rory for some reason. Yeah, and you haven't even lived it. I've lived it, and mm-hmm. I wasn't as, as upset about it as you were. Maybe because I have lived it and I survived it. So yeah, yeah I think, and I do, and then we know that their relationship is going to be fine mm-hmm. going forward. There will be hiccups, and this is a big hiccup. And Rory is growing up, and she's still kind of a baby in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. She's been the center of everybody's attention for so long. She has got to get out of that. And I guess, like, you know, I know it's a TV show, so, like, obviously they have a time limit. But I think part of what I don't like about this scene is that Rory vaguely promises to do better, but we don't mm-hmm. see it happening. You know, we no. don't we don't actually see her having to enact that. So it just feels like a little bit performative yeah. for me like it's very vague That's, yeah you, you get you hit the right word well speaking of uh time limits we're yeah, almost we should... done here but i have some summary comments all right um i think this episode is about change because it's in the it's in the title kind of so when it happens who it affects who it upsets why it does or doesn't happen all of a sudden rory, uh, it feels like rory uh, well, in, in, in the past, Lorelai has felt like she was being replaced in Rory's life. Yes. And the tables are turned here. Rory feels a little bit, just a little bit in that last scene, like she's being replaced in Lorelai's life. And that's kind of what's 
upper upper mind for her when Lane is talking to her. She's still got the situation with her parents on her mind, and that's part of what's going on there. But anyway, uh, so it's always been the other way around, and now it's it's different. It's changed. I love this show. I I, I love the humor in it. I, you know whether it's it's the you know it's the humor, it's the drinking coffee. I I, I don't know. It, it the whole thing. I just really really love it. I, it. It's about women. I think that's a big part of why I like this show. That the relationships between the women, the men are there, and the and the, and the, the great thing is you've got all these these great women relationships the men are fully fleshed out Mm -hmm. they are real characters so except for you know the boy gets his hair played with we don't really know much about him yet but uh it's about women it's about community it's about growing up lane's and rory's relationship is growing it's changing Richard and Emily are learning from Rory. They are growing and changing because of Rory. She's kind of the catalyst in this episode, or in, maybe in the whole show. And Rory is learning more about her mom's life before she was born. She ha- she's not just Rory's mom. She's a, she's a whole person. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of change and a lot of stuff going on in this episode that I just really love. And I struggled with the uh, Lane being, uh, you know, everybody being oblivious to Lane's needs. And yeah. I think that was that was a hard part of the episode, but it kind of was a good story. Mm-hmm. So because uh, it's real. I think it's a good story. I just feel like it was a little bit unnecessarily cruel to her. Like, I don't know. Why did yeah. Dean have to be such a jerk to her? Yep. I I, I feel like it was... It, it went so far to be mean to Lane, and then the resolution to me was limp. Okay, so wait a second. You're saying Dean being mean to her was not realistic? Because I'm telling you, boys I'm can not, be mean. I'm not saying and, it's not and, realistic. I'm just saying, okay, like, if oh, you're okay. going to go that hard, then don't have it end with Lane apologizing to Rory. Oh, that's wrong. That was, like, yeah. I, that I was just, totally wrong. And, and I just, I, I think that I, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying it's not realistic, I am saying that I think this show thinks that Rory can do no wrong even when she does do wrong. I I think this show is letting her off the hook for what a bad friend she was in this episode, and it rubbed me the wrong way. I agree. I will say, though, that my my high school girlfriend who abandoned me when she got her first big boyfriend, he was cruel to me. He was mean on multiple occasions, and she never apologized for it. She let it go. She never told him to stop. It was hurtful. Mm -hmm. So for... When I see this happening with Dean, that was very realistic. I did want to make one last note about the episode, which is that it ends on Rory sadly looking at the photo of Lorelai and Christopher, which, like, they've definitely, they've a couple of times ended an episode with Lorelai looking sad. This is the first time we've ended an episode with Rory maybe looking a little sad. Yeah. So, So, and it's also kind of foreshadowing, because things are going to keep happening like that. So, well, that, dear listeners, is all for today. We went a little long. We apologize. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm Tessa Dare. You can find me at my website, tessadare.com. That's T-E-S-S-A-D-A-I-R.com, where you can sign up for my email list, or you can follow me on Instagram at author.tess.adare or on TikTok at author.tess.adair. Oh, and you should check out her TikToks. They're great. <laughs> um, and I am Beth Von Buren, Tess's mom. You can find me on Instagram at stl underscore writer underscore Beth. This has been Where You Lead, our brilliant and fun podcast about the Gilmore Girls from the perspective of a mother and daughter. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll tune in for our next episode in two weeks. See you then. Uh